You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. So the heading of what I'm going to share today is, and yeah, it's called the way, the way of Righteousness. Amen? The way of righteousness. And as you'll see as we go along, <clears throat> this is probably the most briefest of brief introductions on the subject because this subject is quite substantial. Um, yeah, I remember Pastor Eric making a comment one time. He was saying that, you know, any one concept in the Bible has generations worth of knowledge um, attached to it, which means you know, there's not a na- no matter how far you go in one generation, you can't capture the fullness of one concept. So how much more, as you see, as we'll go through something like righteousness. But I'm hoping just to go through, pull out one or two points um, that will encourage you um, and inspire you. Then we're going to pray. Amen? <clears throat> okay, so righteousness is something I've been looking at for the last sort of week or two weeks. And it's a very big concept. It's, I know like any, like we said, like any concept in the Bible is very big. But this one encompasses a whole lot. It's, you know, we were made righteous. Righteousness was imparted to us. Righteous living is what we're supposed to do. The Bible talks about the way of righteousness. John the Baptist came in the way of righteousness. Um, but let's, and even our, our senior pastor, who you'll be seeing in, a, when? in about three weeks, four weeks, Pastor Sam, he was commissioned by the Lord to go and teach his people our, us the way of righteousness. So obviously it's more than one or two points. Amen. So let's have a look. What is what is what is what does righteousness entail? It's a very big concept. So first of all, let's start at Psalm chapter forty, verse ten. We're going to see we're going to see some things about righteousness. Just to just to lay a foundation, and then we're going to run forward from there. So, <coughs> excuse me. I have hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. David was, a, David was an incredible guy. Um, let's, let's find, we'll stay on verse 10. That's all we're going to look at. So this is, what I, this is what I want you to see. It says, so go back to, thank you. It says, I have not hidden your righteousness in my heart. So it's not hidden. In other words, people can see it. It's coming out. But then what does the next verse say? So what is he? So I've not hidden, sorry, the next line. Sorry, not the next verse. It's okay. Um, I've hidden your righteousness. Now the next line says, I have declared your righteousness, your faithfulness, and your salvation. So faithfulness is part of righteousness. Because he said, I haven't hidden it. It's not hidden. In other words, people can see it. And what can they see? Well, he's making a declaration, and he's declaring God's faithfulness. Amen. So faithfulness is an aspect of righteousness. It falls within the bounds of righteousness. So I guess... This is just to lay a foundation, but just to help you see that this righteousness which we walk in is much bigger than I guess we ever thought before, number one. But number two, I want to show you what it can do. Amen? I want to show you what righteousness can do. Because often, or anyway, and we're going to link it with the heart as well to show how those two things work together and how they really are important. And possibly, possibly, I don't know, but possibly the things which maybe we've thought, ah, I know this is part of Christianity, but is it such, an impo- you know, is it such a great thing? Does it really add that much value? We're going to see that those things are actually the key to where you, in fact, not even to where you want to be, to exaltation beyond what you can imagine, what you can think. Amen. So faithfulness is an, is an aspect, uh, a manifestation, um, an outflow of righteousness. So let's go to um, Psalm 45 verse 7. Let's have a look. What does that tell us? 
Psalm 45. You'll see, interestingly enough, that <clears throat> most of these particular scriptures are all from the book of Psalms, which makes you think that David probably had a very good understanding of righteousness. Amen? Okay, well, let me, let, me, let me say it like this. David, in my, in my opinion, from my research, David did have a good understanding of righteousness. So I'm saying that because I'm getting a half amen, so which means <laughs> you are sort of there. So let me say, I believe that he did, because if you look through how many times the word righteousness or right is mentioned in Psalms, it's quite substantial, which means David, and you don't just be declaring something and it make it into the Bible, you know, if you're not sure. Am I right? So he must have known what he was saying, which means, and you look at David's, what we know about David, friend of God, the greatest king Israel ever had. You just look at how incredible he was. Yeah, we all know. I mean, everybody knows, even if you're not sad about what David didn't get right. But he got a lot of things right. Amen? Amen. And even, you know, what he didn't get right, he managed to come back with that, come back from that, and still have an incredible testimony before God. Amen. That must tell you something. Amen? He, was, he obviously knew something. <laughs> there was something he knew, and there was something he walked in. So if David talks, so if the book of Psalms is full of righteousness, it's probably something we should take note of. And I, I believe it's something that, that's one of, the, or one of the, the ways in which David got propelled to where he was. Amen? Okay, so <clears throat> you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Sorry, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Okay. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So we see here that one of the, not the outflows, but one of the results of righteousness is joy. Joy. If the more you align with righteousness, the more the joy of the Lord is filled up inside you. Now, I've jumped significantly ahead of myself, and that's, I think, what happens when you're trying to you know, do everything off a phone, and then you move and your phone moves. So we'll come back to the scripture in a moment, but let me go, let's go to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17. Sorry, that's actually where I wanted to be, but I don't know, you try to use technology, but sometimes it uses you, I guess. Okay, <clears throat> it gets its own idea across. So what is... What happens here? Let's say this together. One, two, three. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness declares deceit. So if you're, if you're witnessing falsely and you're saying something that's not true, that's deceit. Okay, that's what God calls deceit. But if you speak truth, God declares that it is? So truth falls under righteousness. Truth is part of righteousness. Within the component or the makeup or the concept of righteousness, truth falls within there. So I guess also hopefully, you know, as we go through, you'll see that this is a very, it's a very large concept. It's a substantial concept which encompasses a lot. Obviously, I guess what I'm saying won't cover, it can't cover everything, you know, just because number one, um, as we continue with God, we keep learning new things. So in 10 years down the line, you know, we'll know more than we did now. And also, it's not enough time just in one service to try and unpack what's probably 500 verses that mention the word righteousness. So, as I said, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot. But he who speaks truth. So truth is an aspect of righteousness. Where are we going to next? Let's have a look at um, Psalm 51, verse 1. What does it say? So this is going back to what we were saying about David. We all know the origin of Psalm 51. It's so after he was, I guess, for lack of a better word, caught out by Nathan the prophet. God spoke through Nathan the prophet, and this is David repenting. So it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. 
Okay, do me a favor, go to, let's, let's look at the amplified version. <coughs> Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the multitude of your tender mercy and loving kindness, blot out my transgressions. So have mercy upon me, O God. Let's go to verse, let me just think which verse I want. Um, let's go to verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This was, this was David being honest, being open, coming before God and saying, you know what God, I messed up. I've dropped the ball here significantly, and I pray you would restore me. And that's what can happen because we stand, we are made righteous. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are transformed and we are made righteous. In fact, righteousness is something that is, is imputed or imparted into our spirits. We become righteous. So every time we drop, we do something we shouldn't, especially on a big scale, we can go before God and say, God, I missed it over here you appeal essentially to the blood of Jesus and say, listen, this is what was done on the cross. Wash me clean, wash me fresh. May I stand afresh before you again like I was. Amen. Okay, so let's have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Um, very popular verse. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. This is what it reads. So let each one... Give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, this is just for context. This verse obviously has been mentioned, it gets mentioned quite often when we talk about offering, um, comes up every now and again, but all I want you to see is the context here is giving. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9 from verse 7 or maybe even 6 before onwards, the context is giving, that's what I want you to see. Let's go to verse 10. Look at this. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So giving is linked with righteousness. Because the context over here is giving. What it's saying, increase the fruit of your... Fruit is something that a tree produces, right? So it's something you can see. So fruit is what you can see on the outside. That's what you can see. And so obviously it's got something on the inside that now produces that fruit. And righteousness is the same thing. So giving is an aspect of righteousness. You could even call it righteous living. So giving is a righteous thing to do. Amen? So if you are giving, especially as you are supposed to, in line with Scripture and in line with, God, with, God, with what God places in your heart, you are walking in righteousness. Let me say you are aligning with righteousness. Amen? Okay. So... Okay, this is where I wanted to go next. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2. Before you go there, before you put up... So this is, I guess, not, not controversial, but um, I think we're going to link a little bit with, with what we said last week and maybe even what we looked at at Campus Church on Sunday. I don't know why we're going here, but for what it's worth, let's have a look. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2. This is now Abraham, you remember in the book of Genesis when he came back from rescuing Lot, then Melchizedek, you know, appeared before him. He came out of the bread and wine, obviously, you know, speaking about communion, and he gave him a tithe of everything. And um, then it tells you, it also tells you in Genesis, he's king of righteousness and king of Salem, which means king of peace. Now, <clears throat> this is what's interesting. And you'll remember in Genesis that Abraham tithed. He gave him a tenth of everything, okay, to Melchizedek. He gave him a tenth. Now, and Melchizedek was also a, um, a type of Christ which was to come. Now, this is why it's interesting. 
So it says, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So Abraham gave a tithe of everything he had to this Melchizedek. And he, he first being translated, so this is talking about his name, <clears throat> means king of righteousness. So what did Abraham do? He gave a tenth and, 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 and Melchizedek is called king of righteousness. It, wouldn't have, it couldn't have put that in that same paragraph in that sentence if what Abraham was doing was not righteous. Amen? He couldn't be honoring somebody who's called king of righteousness, king of peace, with what he was doing if he was out of alignment. So, what this tell, so if he's king of righteousness and Abraham is tithing towards him, for me it sends quite a strong message on what tithing is. Amen? Tithing is important. Tithing, I'm not looking at anyone specific. I'm trying to now just move around them so no one feels that I'm, I'm just moving now. Maybe I'll just turn it. Yeah, I'll do like I do when I worship. I'll just be turning. So um, <laughs> you guys all know because I'm at the front, so you can see what happens. And I guess if I was short, you wouldn't notice. But if I'm, if I'm a head taller, then I guess it's, not, it's quite obvious when my head is turning. So tithing is a manifestation of righteousness. You need, to, you need a tithe in order to walk in righteousness. Let me just emphasize, you've been made righteous. You are righteous when you were born again. But then there are decisions you make in your life with, with regards to how you live. So the book of Romans even says, give, your, give yourselves the intr- instruments of righteousness. But here, the only thing we're highlighting is even something like tithing, which you know, gets talking about week after week after week. And um, there might be 5% of the people tithing here. There might be 95%. I have no idea. But this was just something, this was another example I felt I should bring up. So tithing lines up with righteousness. Amen? So if you want to speak about righteous living, tithing is important. Okay. So let's go, uh, I think maybe finally, just with regards to um, nailing down this concept, let's look at, we're going to go to the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 19. Romans chapter 6, what does that say? (coughs) Excuse me, it says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness. And what is lawlessness? So once you start aligning with lawlessness, once you start leaning towards there, what does it do? It, it just, it's, like a, it's like a river. It's like a, it's like a road or a track. Once you start leaning, you just keep doing more, more lawlessness. But what does it say here? So now present your members as slaves of righteousness. And what does that produce? Holiness. It wasn't, there was the, the answer wasn't, it wasn't a trick question. I, thought, I was hoping you would just see it from the bottom. So slaves of righteousness to what? To holiness. So holiness is an expression of righteousness. Holiness as well is also part of this very big concept, which we can study for years. We can study for generations. It's so incredible. And it's what God talks about in the book of Romans. What Paul obviously unpacks from Romans chapter, what is it, 1? Is it 117? No. He unpacks it right from the beginning, all the way through, talking about different aspects. And then now I have my professor here who's going to correct me afterwards because I know he, he knows where I want to be. But, um, <clears throat> so that's why you need to come to Bible school. Amen? So just so the rest of you can all be on the same page, um, Professor Emmanuel Majachani um, was speaking on righteousness. He's been doing, a, I think it was six lessons on righteousness, unpacking it from the book of Romans as to what, and really unpacking over the last couple of weeks. So that was... Yeah, that was, that was really good. So he knows, so yeah, yeah, he's probably more on the, on the right point. He knows where I want to be, but it's okay. Um, 
So now present your members as slaves of righteousness leading to holiness. Holiness, as I said, is a manifestation of righteousness. If you're walking in righteousness, holiness will manifest. Holiness, so the more you, you, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the more holiness is going to manifest. Amen. Amen. Okay, he's smiling. It means I'm on the right track. It means I'm going in the right direction, I guess. So <clears throat> I'll just keep looking back at you. Um, is that, are, are, we, are we there? Amen. So holiness is a manifestation of righteousness. For me, this is such an exciting concept. And you'll see when we add another piece to the puzzle about how righteousness can lift you and how righteousness can exalt you. You'll see. That's why it excites me. It's such an incredible subject. Um, I was saying to the students uh, we, on Sunday night, I was just saying it's not, righteousness is so much more than just don't do this, do do that. You know, right and wrong. It's so much bigger. It's this incredible concept. The more you start to align with it and love it and seek it and hunger for it and also make sure your heart is right, there's no way you can't go. There's no way God won't take you and there's no level you can't be lifted to. Amen? Amen. Okay. So that was just for, to lay a foundation. What I want to do quickly, let's go to where we're going. Um, Psalm 119 verse 40. <clears throat> let's have a look at that quickly. Psalm 119 verse 40. What does that tell us? It says, Behold... Um, this is, you know, obviously David again, like most of the book of Psalms. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. So one of the benefits of righteousness is being revived. Amen? It's not this boring thing which other people do and it makes their life boring and, you know, you miss out on stuff. And if you do this, you know, you don't get to where you want to go and you miss out on what other people are doing. No, no, no. It's an incredible concept. The more you align with it, there are so many benefits which can't be quantified, actually. You'll see, I mean, if I, yeah, if I had time, I could show you righteousness. There's benefit in every single area of your life. I can show you scriptures where it even says, from righteousness, strength flows. Therefore, and in the same scripture, it says, from sin, weakness flows. Sin brings weakness, right? Even if when you're in it and you're feeling, I know I'm getting somewhere, you know, some needs are being met or whatever it is. If you're not doing what is right, it's going to bring weakness in. Amen? But righteousness brings strength, which is wonderful. Righteousness brings strength. So here we go. Revive me according to your righteousness. As you're aligning with righteousness, when you need to be revived, restored, stirred up, you know you're feeling flat or empty or you just, God, I just, you know, it's a bad day. Righteousness will lift you, will revive you. Just your, your body, your organs, your mind, your emotions, the more you align with it, there are so many benefits because then you are aligning directly with God. It's very important to God. Okay, so here's the other one we want to look at. Psalm 45 verse 7, which, just, um, which we looked at earlier because of my technology. So joy is a benefit of righteousness. The more you align with righteousness, the more God will anoint you. With, with what does it say here? Gladness more than your companions. So we call it gladness, call it joy, whatever you want. But joy is a benefit of righteousness. The more you align with righteousness, the more joy you're going to have in your life. That is a guarantee. Amen? Joy is something you'll experience more and more and more. Well, I don't know. For me, that's exciting. It might just be because of my personality. I'm not sure. But anyway, joy is something that just, I guess it excites me. Maybe, maybe I don't need any more excitement. I'm not sure. Maybe I have enough already. <laughs> but anyway, I, I still want more. I guess if there's more, I want that more. So <clears throat> Psalm 17 verse 15, what does that tell us? Psalm chapter 17 says, says, as for me, I will see in righteousness, what? I will see your face, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your, in your likeness. 
<clears throat> I will see your face in righteousness. This is something which excites me because this is something I want to experience. And this is something I want to see. Amen? The face of God. The character of God. No, in fact, not the character. The face of the form of God. Amen? Jesus walking into my room, appearing to me. I mean, I think if, I, if, I, if we did a, um, what do you call it? Uh, not a census. Anyway, one of those things where you put up your hand. And I asked everyone here, you know, how many people have had manifestations of the Lord? A lot of you would put your hand up. Whether it's in dreams or whether it's him actually coming into your room, a lot of you would put your hand up. I know that. A lot of you. And Pastor Eric's mentioned it time and time again. This is what we need to design. This is where we're going. But righteousness, the more we align with it. Anyway, let me say it like this. I will see your face in righteousness. When we're talking about God, our relationship with God, going deeper, pushing deeper, going further with him, that's also speaking about physical manifestation. I speak for myself when I say that's what I want. I don't know about, I can't speak for everyone just because I'm not everyone. Only only God can be everywhere at the same time. But I know what's in my heart and I want to see the face of God. That's one of the benefits of righteousness. The face of God. Okay, so Psalm 112 verse 2. Let's go there. Maybe this is one that will excite you. There There are a couple of ones I wanted to highlight today which... I thought well, it would, it would excite you just because I think there's sometimes when we talk about righteousness, there's maybe a bit of a negative view. So Psalm 112 verse 2, <clears throat> we were talking on Sunday night at campus and just talking about how um, not only the way you live and right, the way you, when you live righteously, that affects the generations after you, but we were also talking about a whole generation can be blessed just because of who you are as one person, how you live. An entire generation can receive blessing from that. I don't know, that's incredible. That's something for me to aspire to. That's something that excites me. So let's look at verse 3. This is where we're going. <clears throat> wow. In the, and this whole Psalm chapter tw- 112 speaks about right, a righteous man, woman, you know, righteous living, and what, what righteousness looks like. And this says, wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. And you can't have those two together unless they're compatible. Am I right? They can't. Why am I saying this? I'm not saying this because I'm going off on a tangent now. I'm saying it because myself included. Sometimes our view of righteousness is definitely not all my needs will be met. I will be prosperous and I will have enough to spare. Or is it just, is it just me? Okay, no, you're not, you're not committing. But it's okay. That's, that's, that's good enough for me. Righteousness and riches, you don't often put in the same sentence. Yes, academically we know, yes, God wants to prosper us. You know, God wants to look after. We get told that every week. Amen? Most weeks. So we know that. But if we had to drill down to saying, the more you align with righteousness, do you think that is going to cause all your needs to be met and you're going to have more than enough? I don't know if we'd all say yes. Amen? Our minds might sort of, sort of tend towards... Um, you know, sort of a poverty mentality, you know, having, I don't know, this is, this is sort of the background I come out of. So a poverty mentality, having very little, because the more righteous you are, maybe the, you know, the more down you should be, the less you should have, the more you should struggle. Amen? Okay. Well, that's my background. It's obviously not even anyone else's background, so that's fine. So this is, this scripture is for my benefit. Amen. Just so I can feel better about myself. So, but what I want you to see is righteousness and riches go together. It's not an inverse relationship. As the one increases, so the other one increases. Amen. God wants you to... Who do you think He wants to have looking after everything in the earth that belongs to Him? 
You know, his children are people that don't know him. You think about it. And it's not that we're going to use it incorrectly. We're going to use it for the right purpose. But who do you think he wants to steward the stuff? Some person who's got, I don't know, a hundred billion and doesn't even acknowledge him. Or someone who loves him and worships him and is maybe going to use that money or that amount or those resources to further his kingdom. Imagine what you can do with a hundred billion, even just a billion. What you could do with that for the kingdom of God. So for me, it's not even an issue because then the, 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 the assumption is obviously in the midst of that, you look properly. You're not going to go and just splash out on whatever and just treat people anyhow. And you know, the character's still going to be and you're still going to live properly. That's the assumption. That's why it's, it's not even an issue the more you have. If you're going to live properly, well then why does it matter? Because obviously you're going to use it in the right, you're going to channel it in the right direction. So righteousness and riches go together. That's one of the main points I wanted to make. So... Um, Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 we see Moses here and Moses um, are you, I don't know if you're awake I said Moses in Genesis chapter 7 and no one even corrected me maybe some of you did in my heart Noah um, in Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 Moses was a little bit later than Genesis chapter 7 um, and the Lord said to Noah come into the ark you and all your household because I have seen what? that you are righteous before me in this generation. Righteousness led to deliverance. But here, you see, many things you can... Okay, number one, righteousness led to deliverance. Righteousness will also lead to protection. Righteousness will look after you. It'll mean God will keep you safe. The Bible tells us the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, which means if God is all-powerful and His eyes are on the righteous... It means probably if something happens, he's not just going to, you know, go, he's not going to go, you know, look at your neighbor. No, he's going to keep his eyes focused and he's going to intervene. Amen? Amen? So, but I guess what's exciting, one of the things which excites me, <coughs> um, I think it's Isaiah 58, which says, your righteousness will go before you. So righteousness does, before you've even got there, it's gone there and accomplished some things for you before you've even stepped into that situation. <laughs> You need, you, why not walk in righteousness? Why not walk with an upright heart? Why not honor God in your heart and walk as you should? Because you're the one who's going to come out on top at the end of the day, not anyone else. So this, what this also tells us is before you even know there's a crisis, God will come and bring deliverance or speak to you about what steps to take. The, the other morning, um, <clears throat> I think it was about a month ago, I can't remember, um, Pastor Eric was talking about the difference between um, Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah, was it? El Shaddai, thank you. El Shaddai and Jehovah. So yeah, um, he was talking about the difference. And um, yeah, obviously Jehovah Jireh is sort of an intervention crisis when you need it. And then El Shaddai is talking about an abundance more than enough, even before you get it. So you know, in other words, you, you probably don't need a miracle. You might need a miracle for a different reason. Like, God, we're trying to, you know, do a, um, a crusade for 10 million. I need a miracle. Not like, I need a miracle, you know, to feed whatever in my personal context. It's more likely to be something else. So El Shaddai is more than enough. Overflow. Abundance. And then Jehovah Jireh talking about an intervention. And that's what I like about this scripture. This is speaking about, it's almost along the same sort of lines. It's speaking about an intervention before anyone knew there was a crisis. Noah didn't know that there was going to be this, this rain and ark and the whole world destroyed. And this God came to him and said, by the way, this is what I'm supposed to do. Don't you want to be on that level with God? 
I don't know about you, but just thinking about that's where I want to be. Where he actually comes and says, listen, by the way, um, we are close, so I'm telling you what's going to happen, you know. Okay, it could be, it took him 100 years to build the ark, so it's a little bit of a way down the line. But I'm telling you what's going to happen in the future. Because this is the relationship that we have. Because we are walking together. Like I think Amos chapter 3 says, um, how, can, how can there be agreement? And how can two walk together? And let, Thank you. Unless there's agreement. So this even speaks about God bringing deliverance before I even knew there was a crisis. That's why, that's why walking with God and honoring Him uh, when it's a bad day and on every other day is so important. Because you don't know what's going to come tomorrow. Today might be great. This whole week might be great. So therefore you think, ah, it's fine. Let me just, you know, let me just chill. Let me just, whatever. I don't know. Um, t- you know, gear down for this week because things are going fine. But you don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know. I, I don't know how else to say it. I want God to come and tell me, Ryan, listen, crisis is coming. These are the steps you need to take. These are the steps you need to take. And this is hard to avert it. Otherwise, he wouldn't know. If he hadn't been walking with God, he would have just been the same as everyone else. And I guess maybe the book of Genesis would have started, I'm not sure, a little bit later. Or it would have skipped the whole of chapter 7 right through until the end of the flood. And then there was a flood. The whole world was, was, was destroyed. And then God approached Abraham and said, Listen, Abraham, you know, I need, I don't know what he would have done, but all of that stuff wouldn't have been there if Noah hadn't been walking righteously. Amen? So, I don't, you know. And Noah wasn't, wasn't doing it because he wanted deliverance. He was doing it because he loved God. Amen. He was doing it because he knew that was the right thing to do, Amen. to love God and honor Him. And then there are benefits which flow out of that. So, <clears throat> let's see, where else can we go? So, let's look at Psalm um, chapter 5, verse 12. What does that tell us? Okay, this, I, think we spoke some, I think this came up in worship, or maybe it was prayer. I can't remember. It came up somewhere, but... No, it was worship. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. So favor is yours as you align with righteousness, as you make righteousness a priority, as you choose to walk in this direction, not that direction, as you choose to make the right decisions and line up with what God is saying to you, favor is yours. So we claim the scripture, but it's, as I said, also depends on how you're living. Amen? Favor, God will surround you with favor as with a shield. And we also really looked at God will bless the righteous. There's one more I want to look at. Um, linking with what actually Sunny was saying earlier. So let's have a look at, where should we start? Um, Psalm 89 verse 16. So before we go there, what I, this, is my, this is my next point. Um, righteousness exalts. Righteousness lifts up. We looked at that with the last week Sunday on, at Campus Church. But righteousness causes you to rule. The key to rulership is righteousness. If there's no righteousness, there will be no rulership. The Bible even says the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. Now, if it's the fund, yeah, anyway, okay, so that's for what it's worth. The foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. The Bible also tells us that he has a scepter of righteousness, and the scepter is what you rule with. It's what you make the declarations, it's what you make decisions. You, you take action with your scepter. And it says God has a scepter of righteousness, not a scepter of wickedness. So righteousness links very, very much with rulership. Okay, Psalm 89 verse 16. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are? The key to exaltation is righteousness. 
That's the key to exaltation. The reason I'm highlighting this, oh, okay, well let's, let's come to that in a moment. Um, let's go to, let's, in fact, let's jump from here. Job 36 verse 7. Let's go there quickly. Job chapter 36 verse 7. What does that tell us? <coughs> he does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne of kings. For he has seated them forever and they are exalted. So he doesn't withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but his eyes are on the throne of kings. Kingship, righteousness is key to kingship. If you're not walking in righteousness, you will not walk in, ki- in, in rulership, in kingship. You will not reign in this life. We're going to see in the next scripture. But if you're not aligning with righteousness, if you're not loving it, desiring it, hungering after it, checking your heart, what's in your heart, what's going in on your heart, what's the position of your heart, if you're not constantly checking it, you won't rule. It's that simple. There are two different ways to rule in this life. You can either rule the way the world does, which is you know, doing certain things to get into a place. Or the only problem is, once a bigger crocodile comes and, buy and eats you, then it replaces you. Amen? You're only because you're there because you're maybe the strongest of what was at the time. But now once some, someone comes and buys that company, decides, actually, you know what? I don't need the CEO anymore. Now you've worked all this time. You've, you've backstabbed. You've, you've done whatever to get to the top. Now someone comes and buys that company. And you know what? Actually... The guy, the team I'm coming with is actually, I'd prefer them to you. So thank you very much. Even your three months package, it's fine, but you're still unemployed. Amen? Nothing is guaranteed unless you do it in line with God. It's the only way to secure your position. There's no other way. The problem is if you make your own way somewhere, you have to defend it. That's it. And, and the, problem, the challenge is, I, I know myself, and I can only defend to a certain extent. I've only got however much inside me. Amen? We've all got an end point. And sometimes if the circumstances around you are more than what is inside you, you need for God to have put you there. Otherwise, <laughs> you're going to sweat. Amen? There's going to be a bit, of a bit of a sweating time. So the key to rulership in this life, as I say, you can go though, there's, there's two ways. Either you can, I don't know, pull, cut, bite, stab, whatever, do things behind the scenes and get, and get there. You can do that. And as I say, that's only guaranteed as long as somebody, the bigger giant doesn't come and displace you because then you are, then you are I don't know if it's extinct or whatever, but then you are removed. Otherwise, if you follow the way of God, by the t- you cannot be moved because you are founded on the rock. Amen. It's impossible for you to be moved. You cannot. Because God's placed you there. And if God's called you and placed you there, He will back you in that position, in that place. He will back you and He ensure. No, they can come with anything and He will back you and you will remain. So, He does not withdraw His eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings. For He has seated them forever and they are exalted. So in other words, I don't know how often we align righteousness with, or how often we link righteousness with rulership. Amen. As I say, righteousness is maybe just, ah, don't do this, don't do that. But how often do we align it with that being the key to me actually ruling one day? To me actually, and ruling doesn't just mean, you know, we've got, I guess we've got no, well, it's spiritual kingship now, but rulership means you're on top of something. Amen? And I don't know about you, but if, I'm, if it's the ultimate king, well then I'm expecting that as I follow him, he's going to put me in quite a substantially high position. 
I might not be owning a multinational conglomerate because that's not really what my, what my passion is. But I'm talking, and if that's your passion, then that's of course where you can be. But my passion is slightly different. So from where God has called me in my field, in my area, that's where I want to rule one day. I believe we all have the capacity to rule nations. Amen. It might not be the president, but you can still, you can still rule a nation. Amen? Amen? This righteousness thing is not a joke. Okay, let's go. Romans chapter f- 5, verse 17. Romans, um, Romans 5, 17. Let's look. <coughs> For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those, and when you get born again, you receive abundance of grace. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So righteousness is a gift. It's something that's, that's given to you by God. When you get born again, you are given the gift of righteousness. And you are made and put in right standing with God. Now it's a case of walking that out on a daily basis. And what does the Bible do? It shows us a whole lot of guidelines as to how we should walk that out. But this is what I want you to see because this excites me. It's that thing which people look down on, they're negative about, they think is boring, and they think is not going to get them ahead in life. That thing is the very thing that promotes you, will provide for you, will protect you, will look after you, will keep you safe, strengthen you, revive you. I and mean, what else do you want? Righteousness is the key. As I say, there are multiple ways of doing things. Well, maybe two ways. There's God's way, and the, and, or there's, there's a way, there's following biblical principles, and there's every other way that goes in the same box. <laughs> Everything else goes in the same box. So there are ways you can get revival and strength and all of that kind of stuff. But the only way that is lasting, the only way that is pure, the only way that it comes with not one negative, not even one small negative with it, because you can get something, but if some negatives come in, well, then you don't want that either. Amen? The only way to get something with not one negative is aligning with God. Who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. If Jesus is Lord of all and you are reigning through him, who do you think can stand against you? Who do you think can oppose you? Who do you think can displace you from where you've been placed? Who do you think can take you on? Can anyone? Look, the devil, the devil tried. So the ultimate of the ultimate tried, and he got kicked out of heaven. So he's still trying. He's already defeated on the cross. So I don't know who's more powerful than him. And that's who you've got. You've got God backing you. And the gift of rights will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. The key to reigning in life is righteousness. Walking in righteousness, a concept which is maybe quite boring, quote, I don't know, looked down upon, negative, and not very exciting. That concept is the key to you and my reigning in life. There's no other way to access it and to stay in that position and to rule in such a way that no one can displace you. And the kingdom of God and the will of God will be done. Amen. So, just in line with that, I wanted to look, let's look quickly at... Um, or you don't have to go to Daniel chapter 2 verse 31, but just to make my, make my last point is Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says the, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think we even, we even sung that earlier. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting because Sonny also mentioned, he mentioned about Nebuchadnezzar and um, the, the, the vision that Daniel saw, which was a, a man, a statue, head of gold, I think it was silver, bronze, and then eventually you end up with feet of clay. 
you know, looking at different kingdoms. And the legs, I can't remember what the legs, the legs were something. So maybe legs and feet. But anyway, so there was this, there was this man. And what happened, it's Daniel chapter 2 from verse 31. If you want to put it up there. So what happens is, <coughs> now this is what excites me. If the kingdom of, or let me say, there's this stone, okay? There's a stone which is cut not with human hands, which means there was no human intervention. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> that's the truth. And that's obviously talking about Christ. Talking about Jesus. I mean, which human being helped God, you know, for Jesus to come to the earth and for the whole salvation process? It was there, no, there wasn't anyone. You know, we were too busy, you know, turning away from God and not getting things right. So salvation, the, the Bible even says your own arm or your right hand works salvation. You looked around and there was no one, so your right hand brought about, your right arm brought about salvation. So God, um, God brought about salvation. That Jesus coming to earth and dying and us, being, and us being able to come into relationship with him, that was God 100%. He brought that about. Yeah, anyway, you can read in this great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. And then it, it carries on. But it says there was a stone cut. Well, let's go to verse quickly, 30, 32. What does it say? This, this image, image's head was of fine gold, this chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze. Okay, keep going. Its legs were iron. There we go. That's what I was thinking. Oh, not, th not, not thinking. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. That's where I was going. Okay, you watched while a stone, which was cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed. Every, the most powerful kingdom, possibly even in the history, one of the most powerful kingdoms in the history of the world, which is Nebuchadnezzar's, the head of gold. All of those got crushed by the stone, which started, yeah, which was cut without a man's hand. It became like chaff, like dust, which has just gone away with it, like the on the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that the trace, trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Let's look at 36 quickly. <coughs> this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. So, <coughs> If righteousness, peace, and joy summarizes, or in that verse anyway, if the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, and that stone is, is Christ, and it ends up filling the entire earth, and obviously key, a key aspect of the kingdom of God is righteousness. If you walk in righteousness, if you align with righteousness, is there any kingdom which can stand against you? Is there any level which you can't be raised to? Is there anything which you can't? No. It might not happen overnight. That's the challenge. The other stuff can happen overnight. That's the problem. It's quick, but it's not sustainable. As I say, when a bigger something comes, you're finished. Then you're just eaten. But a bigger one comes and eats that one. That's how it works. But it's not necessarily going to be overnight. Why? Because God wants to ensure that by the time, it's for many reasons. He could be doing things in your life, in your situation. You may still have to learn some things. It could be anything. It could be because once you, once you get there, He wants you to have the strength and the staying power to be able to hold, stand against any enemy that might come. You know, it's like the promised land. The promised land is a wonderful place, but it wasn't empty because it was a wonderful place. You get what I'm saying? Like you, were, you don't find a wonderful place with grapes, you know, two men carrying grapes this big, and it's just uninhabited and no one's there. You know, probably they're going to be, the, probably the, the best place is going to be inhabited by the strongest people that could take it. 
And probably, you know, it's not surprising that if you had grapes that were this big, you had people that were that big harvesting those same grapes. Yeah. I don't know the grapes made them big or whatever it was. But so that's not surprising. But in order to take that land, they needed God. Of course, it didn't matter how big the enemy was. It, it wasn't an issue. But often there's a process. Because even once they had the promised land, there were now enemies who wanted to, ah, you know, this is nicer than where we stay. So we want to take that. So they had to be strong enough to resist and to stand. Amen? Okay. So, almost in closing. Um, as we align with righteousness, we align with God, we align with what God is doing, we align with God's heart. Um, righteousness is something, some thing that we've that we've become we've been granted we've been made righteous in god's image now pastor eric was talking about the heart last week and the importance of the heart and i guess you'll probably remedies um what was it remedies and reasons and reasons and remedies yeah for for spiritual heart conditions (coughs) so i think you, you probably still look at some of the at some of the remedies but as he said, he was talking about the heart, the heart being the center, the ho- literally, without being funny, the heartbeat of your entire life. Your heart, which is made up of your soul and spirit. That's the key to your life. If everything is right in your heart, then you'll continue to go in the right direction. I remember something, something Pastor Sam said once. Um, <clears throat> he was talking about the word, he was talking, it's not such a surprise, because I, I, I told the students on Sunday, but... Um, he took the, you were, were saying if you take the word, you can easily do it either way. You take the word earth, earth, like the earth we live in, and if you take the H at the end of it, yeah, and you put it at the beginning, what word do you get? He was saying that your heart is the key, or your heart is the place where heaven touches earth. The H even representing heaven. Your heart is the place where heaven touches earth. Your heart needs to be right for you to connect not only everything God has, but for you to connect heaven here on earth. To connect everything God has for you. The heart is that place. It's the center. That's the area where everything happens from, everything starts from, everything flows from, everything takes place from. That is it. If your heart is in alignment, if you, if every time God brings up something and says, listen, he's almost like, you know, he's kind of, uh, for lack of, he's pointing on a certain end and saying, listen, look at this, focus on that, deal with this, you're doing well in this area, more of this, less of that, whatever it is. Every time you take note of that and you start, you, you work it and you apply it and you walk it out, what's happening? You're aligning more with God and you're aligning more with the principle of heaven touching earth. That's the key. God looked, at, um, God looked at David, I think it was 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, where he looked at David. Him and, his, him and his brothers obviously were being selected. Well, one of them was being selected. They all, thought it was the, they all thought it was the brothers. The other guy got left in the field. And then God said, you know what? I don't look as man looks. I've rejected every single one of them. I don't look as man looks. I look at the heart. Which means when God wants to promote you, he's going to look at your where God wants to, I believe it even extends as far as protection. 
If you just, you know, you, you, you live anyhow in the heart, there's any, just the, you know, you're doing what you want. Oh, maybe you come to church on a Sunday, but you do whatever you want, whenever you want. And there's stuff going on in your heart, the way you think about people, the attitude you have, unforgiveness, whatever. You know, I don't, I, I, I'm not going to throw out all the adjectives, but I think you all know what I'm saying. The stuff that goes on inside here, if it's not okay, I think it, the consequences are, are worse than we are, are more substantial than we realize. Because if God's eyes are on the righteous, someone who's actively aligning, living how he should, what happens if you're not living how you should? It's just a thought. Maybe his eyes are somewhere else. Hey? And obviously that, you don't know what, and that's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't, for me, it's like, I can't, and maybe my wife will tell you, I maybe even go to extremes sometimes, but it's okay. I guess we are all, we're all learning and we're all growing, but I can't, I can't in my heart think of possibly even dropping the ball one day with regards to God. I can't, I, for me, this is me now. This is, that's, that's honestly how I, I can't, the thought of dropping the ball just on one day with regards, I just think, well, I, I can't. It's something that's it's very difficult for me. And I'm also thinking, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? What meeting am I going to go into? Who am I going to meet? Who am I going to be put in front of? And now you suddenly, you know, you took a break on that day with God. Now suddenly, oh, why are you going to suddenly drop something? The answer that you need for that meeting or that presentation or that time or that crisis or you're driving your car or, you know, etc., etc. We need to be serious about this thing every day. You, it's not, you're not just going to, face a crisis when you drive home from church on a Sunday. If it's a Wednesday and you know and things have whatever, I'm not sure they started here and they went down. There's a problem. I don't know about you, but for me it's a I see it as a problem. If I'm not if I'm not for one second myself where I'm supposed to be, I think God, what could take place? What could what if something steps in or flies in or connects me and I'm not where I should be? I don't, God, know, God alone knows the results. Not, I don't know the results. But for me, it's a serious thing. I can't afford to take a break, take my foot off the gas for one second. That's my, as I say, maybe, maybe I'm just extreme, but that's my view. I can't. Because for any one of a number, I need God in this life. I need God. I love God. I want more of God, number one. But number two, I need God on a daily basis. I can't afford to take my foot off the gas for one second. That's my view. That's how I live my Christian life. Yeah, sometimes you're tired and you, know, you don't want to get up and pray. Fine. Sometimes legitimate. But if you're just like, ah, it's fine, God. I, I struggle to do that with a clear conscience, honestly. Because I'm just thinking, God, well, what if whatever happened that morning in my time with you or what God released, what if I need that during the day? What if I need that next week? What if I get a phone call from my family and then I needed what happened this morning? We can't afford to be... Uh, half-hearted about this thing and our hearts are even on the same level we cannot afford to be half-hearted about our hearts you can't if we really believe that our heart is the core of everything that happens in our lives we can't be half-hearted that thing which god is saying listen you need to deal with this you need to sort this out you need and he's telling you and then you don't then what's going to happen two weeks down the line i don't know i don't know but we most of us have been walking for God for long enough to know that if God tells you something, it's not really so much for his benefit. You know, he, he's okay. <laughs> like, he's, he will still, be, he'll still wake up. Actually, there won't be tomorrow. He's just, he's just always today. So God is, God is always, he'll be fine. 
but he's telling me that for a reason. And it's not only so that I can reflect his glory and the kind of character I should to those around me. It's also for my benefit and for my need. I need to listen to what he's saying. It's that simple. I need, and if I don't, I'm putting myself at risk. Amen? Even for one second, one little command, one small thing, like, oh, maybe you should just do this. And it doesn't seem like such a big thing. But you don't do it. You do do it. You don't know what's on the other side of it. You'll find out when you get there. God doesn't always say, hi, on the, on the other side of this door, which looks insignificant, I'm putting your whatever, your blessing or your financial or whatever. whatever. I guess we always say financial because obviously that's something which, with all of us, because I mean, we live in a, a money-driven economy. So, you know, finances become quite a, quite, a, quite a big thing. But God is just saying, God will never tell you when this is linked with that. He won't tell you. And I'm, I'm sure, are there not people here who've looked back sometimes and God said, do this. And in the beginning, number one, maybe you didn't want to, but in the beginning it seemed insignificant. Once you did that, you look back and you see, oh, huh, this was linked with that. Have you ever seen that before? And in the beginning, it looked, there was no way anyone would ever put them even in the same book. Are you, are you with me? So you've, Now that's what I'm saying. We don't, every time you ignore God, you take a risk. It's that simple. The slightest instruction, the slightest direction, you put yourself at risk. Because he's not going to always come with a loud voice and tell you, listen, you must take this step because it's going to avoid this. He doesn't. He, he doesn't. The way he speaks to us most of the time, and he doesn't actually, you know what? We don't even have a right to demand that. God will come and speak as he needs to. And we, we need to respond just as strongly to the still small voice as we do to the, 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 the audible voice now here or the thunder. Amen. When the thunder comes, we move. But when the little, we need to move to that as well. Because God determines how he speaks. It's not us. Obedience, ladies and gentlemen, is very key. We have to get to a point where we start obeying on the last, the smallest, the little, the tiniest instruction, leading, and direction. Even if it's not a sin thing. He's saying, listen, you need to do this. And it's not like where you were is sin, but he's just saying, do this. Spend more time here. Do less of this. I don't know. Do something with your neighbor. Do this with your family, whatever. It's not sin where you were or where you're going. But if he's saying it, I, don't, I, I can't quantify doing anything else. This is God, and he knows why he's telling you, and you will only find out when you get there. Amen? So can we start to be serious about the way we live before God, the way we live with God, and, and, our, and, our, and, and how we engage with our hearts? It's not something that's just there that, you know, when it's convenient, we can just tap into it every now and again. You can't live like that because you're going to miss it. For all of the 101 reasons which you've already mentioned over the last however many minutes, you can't live like that because that's not, li- that's not the key to life. You don't access life through that. Amen? You don't access life through that. And God's got a wonderful, abundant... It even is one of the... Yeah, anyway. One of the scriptures even says how righteousness links with life. And it's the same thing. The more you line up with God, the more you line up with life, the more life flows into your life. That's how true life is supposed to be. It's like a river. The more the river flows and increases, and the better the quality of your life. So let's close on... Let's close on the scripture. Um, Hebrews... Sorry, Hebrews. James chapter 2, verse 23. <coughs> okay, I think we all we all know the scripture. It's something which has been 
Yeah, the last part is, anyway, especially the first part is mentioned quite a few times. Romans, Hebrews, right throughout, even in, obviously in Genesis. So, <clears throat> the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, it's fine, but... This is, this is where I'm going. It's just, um, I want to try and bring this all together, especially the heart aspect and holding on that. And he was called the friend of God. In this scripture, it's maybe a bit obvious that obviously righteousness is, is connected with being a friend of God. Uh, okay, I don't know about you. So he, wa- he was accounted him for righteousness, and the very next sentence says, and he was called the friend of God. So for me, there's, a li- there's clearly a link between the two of them. But this is what, so righteousness that's what excites me when I was studying righteousness, looking at, wow, you know what, that links with being a friend of God. But here's the thing I want to close with. Becoming a friend of God is significantly linked with your heart. It's a significant part of that. If God looks at the heart, and Proverbs 4.23 says, the heart is the thing, you know, out of it flow the issues of life. You know what, <clears throat> if you look at the NLT, um, I know some of you have read it because you like the NLT. It's quite a, quite a cool Bible. Um, I was thinking of someone, but I didn't want to put them on the spot. So the NLT says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for it determines your life. I don't know about you, but that, th- something a statement like that resonates. Amen? A statement like that does something in the inside. When the Bible makes a statement like that, like one, two, three, determines your life. Or will influence the whole course of your life. For me, that kind of makes me take a step back and think, God, maybe there's something here. Amen? Is it, is it up? Just put it up quickly. Um, Proverbs 4.23 in the NLT. I hope I've, hope I've got the right translation. Let's have a look. <coughs> Proverbs 4.23 in the NLT. Look at that. Guard your heart with all diligence. Or guard, your, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. <coughs> By the decisions you make concerning your heart, you determine what's going to happen in tomorrow. And the thing is, we haven't got to tomorrow yet. I haven't got to tomorrow, you haven't got We always live in, we're not God who lives outside of time. I only live in today. So if my heart influences what happens tomorrow, in other words, before, so it, you see, you'll get there and now you can't change it, it's too late. You had to, you had to decide from today, how am I going to live? What does my heart look like? How, how am I responding to what God is saying to me? You have to do it today for tomorrow to, ha- to look like a certain way. Because by the time you get tomorrow, it's too late. Then it's like, okay, well, maybe I can change the next day or the next week. But it's too late. Everything God says to us is important and for a reason. We can't, if we take it lightly, it's at our own peril. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. It makes me almost, also, almost think of our life as a river. You know, like a river that's running its course. And if you imagine a river flowing out of your heart, what's inside of your heart, that river flows out, and that determines the course of your life. And as I said, it happens before you get there. Once you're in tomorrow, it's too late. You've got to decide today, how am I going to live? What are my priorities? What's important to me? What am I doing in line with what God has has said to me? And I don't think it's a, it's a hectic thing because he's going to tell each one of us. He's going to whisper and say, listen, Ryan, this is what you need to do. Uh, I don't know. Lesechel, this is what you need to do. Chidi, this is what you need to do. He's just going to whisper and it's going to be between you and him. 
99% of the time, 90, however many percent of the time, no one else knows what God is saying to you. So it's not like, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's just, what are you doing with what he's whispering? I believe that, like Proverbs 14 says, righteousness exalts a nation. Uh, I believe we can get to heights, and I can believe we can get to levels, which probably this, and, and I, I don't know, how, I don't know, yeah, I mean what I say, I don't know how better to say, but probably that this generation hasn't seen. Leadership and influence and authority on a level that we have not seen in our current generation. Haven't seen yet. I believe we can access that. We can rule on a level this generation hasn't seen. But you know what? Your heart is the key. It's like your heart is a bit like the, or in fact it is almost, like the, the, like the Garden of Eden. In, is it Genesis chapter 2 where it says a river flow, flew, flew out of Eden. A r- there was a river that was flowing out of Eden and it broke off into four river heads. That's also symbolic of our heart. And you see that those river heads did different things. That's your, heart, that's your tomorrow. That's where you're going. This thing is finding stuff and doing stuff for you before you even get there. We need our hearts to be okay. We need our hearts to be right. We need to consider what is God saying and what is the position of our heart. So that the, 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 the course of our lives is determined in the right way. So we will be exalted. So we can rule. So we can reign. So if, all of that. And going back to James chapter 2, verse 23. In summary, so that we will get to a level and a place. I want to get there where I become a friend of God. Amen? Amen. It's something I desire. It's something I hunger for. I believe with the covenant we've all entered into as a church and any one of a number of other things, we've set ourselves up to go in that direction. Friend of God is not just something. Think of any friend that you have. Like you have friends and you have friends, isn't it? Like, like you might meet someone once or twice and you call them your friend. But is it the same as someone you've known since childhood? No. You get me? The English language is limited. And you guys have probably got more proper serious words than I have in my limited language. Serious words for friends and stuff. But you know what I'm saying. They are friends and they are friends. And this is not, are uh, we greeted twice? You know, we are now, that's not what it's talking about. There's a kind of, like Abraham, when he, when he, when he shows him stuff, it whichever scripture, wherever it is, Genesis, it doesn't matter. But when he, when he, show, he speaks to him, he says, listen, this is what's going to happen about Sodom. Yeah. Why? Because they are friends. You'll start to access things. You'll start to see things. You'll start to know things. God will start to reveal things. Friendship with God is, as I said, it's more than just you know, we've met once or twice. It's a proper friendship with God is something deeper than that. That's what I desire. That's what I hunger for. That's where I want us all to go. And our heart is very key to that. Amen. This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.